0: You are listening to the Some Good Content Podcast, a swipe file of proven content plays shared by some of the most successful content marketers out there doing the work. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. My guest today is Ryan Law, Director of Marketing at Animals. Ryan, welcome to the podcast, man. I've been a big fan of both you and Animals now for,
1: for several years. Oh, thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. I've been following you and your work from afar as well, so looking forward to chatting.
0: Yeah, and, and obviously Animals is a content marketing agency, but, uh, you know, I, I come from an agency background years ago, and a lot of times agencies are not so good at doing the things for themselves that they do for their clients. Animals is d- does not have that problem, at least, you know, it doesn't seem that way, right, uh, from an outsider's perspective. So talk about what does content mean internally for for animals uh like what can you share in terms of like the role it plays what kind of numbers it helps the company generate like just give us an overall feel of the role that uh content plays internally for animals
1: yeah sure thing so i i've spent like about 10 years working at different content marketing agencies and before animals i co-founded my own agency and ran marketing for them And the role content played there was like very typical, what a lot of agencies use content for, which is I targeted a bunch of keywords, the highest volume like SaaS related keywords I could find with a view to generating like a bunch of traffic and leads from that. We got loads of traffic, ranked number one, even to this day for a bunch of great keywords and got no customers from it. Like literally not a single customer for the longest time possible. I think animals, the way I'd characterize how we do content here is kind of the opposite of that. Uh, We don't fixate on traffic at all. We focus almost entirely on like bottom of the funnel. Uh, The main source of content for us is talking to sales prospects and trying to solve problems that they uh, experience day to day. So it's kind of hilarious, like by a lot of standards, our blog is very, very unimpressive in terms of like KPIs, but in terms of like business generated, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing.
0: So what what does that look like? I think you shared some numbers uh, before the call, like uh, overall sessions uh, and then how that contributes to to qualified
1: leads. Yeah, totally. So I think um, I normally look at page views because I don't particularly I don't care which metric I look at. I just look for like change in those metrics. But I think it was about 20,000 sessions in the last month. Uh, and that was about 100,000 page views, which was, it was actually our best ever month for traffic last month, courtesy of the benchmark report. Uh, and in terms of that actually translating into like the bottom line, I think it was something like 34 SQLs or something we generated from that. Right. Uh, and we're, we're quite like rigorous about what we call an SQL. It's not just like anyone that gets in touch. They are good fit people. Uh, and we generally convert a very high percentage of those people.
0: What's a... Uh... In terms of content distribution, like what are the, you know, because the, the content, obviously there's, there's some organic magic happening there uh, based on the numbers you shared, but uh, there's a good deal of that that's coming from, you know, other places besides Google. So what are the distribution channels that have worked so far for animals?
1: The one I've been keeping my eye on and I've seen a huge uptick in is newsletter distribution. So obviously we have our own newsletter and that sends like a pretty predictable few thousand sessions uh, to each article when it's published. But one of the biggest sources of traffic has been all these third party newsletters. I think like the rise of Substack and all these um, publishers, there are just so many newsletters out there, so many people hungry to curate content. Sure. Uh, that every month we get featured in like a dozen, two dozen different newsletters, and that drives thousands of visits. Quite often,
0: hard to influence, though, right? So like, uh, or, or or is it? Or are you sharing it with people you know have have um, you know popular newsletters and kind of like almost like a like a PR push? Like, uh, is that something you have control over?
1: kind of like we're definitely not organized enough to say like hey we're one of the things i wanted to do but never did with the benchmark report was actually give people heads up so they could feature it and all that kind of thing uh what tends to happen it's people we know in our wider network so i use twitter a bunch and that's actually really great for connecting to content marketers uh we've got jimmy's uh slack group the Mm -hmm. content marketing career group a bunch of people in there uh, and I think a lot of people that run newsletters are also subscribed to our blog, so they see a bunch of stuff as it comes out. Right.
0: So so is there so newsletters, that, that, that's a great one. So you kind of you know, uh, continue to nurture the, the existing network that both animals has, uh, the Slack group, which is the content marketing Slack group with anybody listening. If you're not in there, it's very engaged, and I would highly recommend you join. It's free. Um, but yeah, so the Slack group, your wider network and sharing the content widely, so they see it. It gets featured in newsletters. Is there anything that's uh, that's like more deliberate? Like you're taking, sharing it in a certain network or is it your internal email list or any paid that you're running if you do any of that? Is there anything that, you know, after a piece of content is published, it's like, this is the play. This is what we go do to promote this piece of content.
1: Yeah, we're, we're kind of boring in that regard actually. So we have like no paid spend. Uh, we've got a handful of like channels and communities that we will share stuff with. As a general rule, it's just the places we are most interested in visiting ourselves, because that means we get to share it in quite a sincere way. Every time I've tried to share stuff with like growth hackers, it's sure. just like fallen flat on its face. Like nobody ever picks that stuff up. Um, so what tends to so work
0: for what tends to work for you? like which communities specifically do tend to work?
1: Uh, I actually have a little soft spot for zest, which is like this kind of curation of marketing stuff. Uh, it doesn't send masses of traffic, but it's like fairly consistent, always gets picked up and the occasional piece will do well on it. Uh, I've mentioned Twitter like that is just, I spend too much time there. We get a bunch of traffic from that. Uh, I mean, yeah, we've been playing with LinkedIn a bit more as well. Um, we had Kristen craft recently join the company and she's come by way of Wistia and her experience with video, uh, it's encouraged us to like experiment a bit more with uh, video distribution to accompany blog posts, uh, and with the benchmark report in particular, that yeah sent quite a yeah, bit of traffic as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'll second Zest. That's surprising. Like, yeah, not massive amounts of traffic, but very consistent, and uh, and you kind of start to learn over time what performs well there. Um, so yeah, I would, I would recommend to listeners check out Zest. Just a curation network. You paste the link. It's easy. Um, and you, you learn over time what content tends to perform well, but yeah, I've been surprised there as well. How much traffic tends to, uh,
1: tends to get driven through zest. Um, a uh, one we um, when we very, very polarizing, it will either work amazingly or it will die on its ass basically is uh hacker <laughs> news for us. So like our most successful post ever is a post that went completely viral on hacker news, uh, generated like 30,000 visits, like in one day kind of thing really took off, uh. But if you try and replicate that success, it's probably like the most marketing allergic space I've ever visited, ever <laughs> yeah. been in. So you've got to be very careful with what you share, and yeah, try yeah, not to be sure. too marketing It yeah. could be <laughs> could be fairly
0: cynical too, depending on what you're sharing. Yeah, it's uh, not for the not for the faint of heart. Um, what, what does the team look like? I know, like you know, just from looking through the Animals blog, you do a lot of writing, which uh, uh, you're a terrific writer. I really enjoy reading your pieces. What is the rest of uh, the content function look like, you know, internally at, at Animals? What does the team look like?
1: It's, again, that's kind of funny because we're at well over 50 odd people now. Uh, marketing is me, basically. That is the entire <laughs> function. Uh, we're very lucky where we don't need a huge marketing team to generate the business we need. We have a much bigger focus on like operation, delivering of content. But there are a bunch of people that I do like collaborate with really closely and I couldn't do my job without their input. Uh, so we've got people like Andrew, who's our head of R&D. Um, I don't know if you've come across Revive, which was like the free yeah, uh, yeah. It's a great tool. refreshing tool we came up with. Yeah, so Andrew developed that. Uh, he's my go-to for like anything related to data or insight. He's just amazing to work with on that. Uh, we've got lots of content strategists. So they're like our team leads who are some of the smartest people I've ever worked with. They... Whenever they've got any free time, which is not always that often, I always try and rope them in and get them to write for the blog or at least share their experiences with me so I can write about them on the blog.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's a good, yeah. So uh, and you mentioned yeah, trying to get more voices on on the animals blog. But uh, yeah, the the revive tool, terrific tool by the way. So uh, kudos to Andrew if he ends up listening to this. That's a that's a great tool that we've we've actually used and we wrote about in one of our posts a while back. We updated a lot that. of content on our website and saw like a 75 percent increase in organic traffic over several months, and it was actually we used the revive tool, uh, just like oh, let's check this tool out, see see what it see what it spits out, and yeah, it was really insightful. So another big recommendation for our listeners to check out. Um, so uh, so Ryan, I asked Ryan to share the bigger the big content plays that have paid off for animals over the past six to 12 months, and you shared three really good ones with us. So I want to walk through those. The first one. Uh, which which is a great topic is search optimized thought leadership which almost sounds like an oxymoron right the thought leadership content most companies tend to tend to you know bucket into a different area this is you know to develop thought leadership not necessarily to drive traffic but you've you know it, it sounds like animals has been trying to strike that middle ground talk about how that paid off for for you guys over the past over the past year
1: yeah so i think i said before i come very much from like an seo background and when i got started content marketing and SEO were just synonymous to me. That was the only type of content I ever created. If it didn't have a keyword, it didn't exist. Um, Whereas animals in the early days was very much focused on good ideas, distribution will follow from good ideas. So one of the things we've been working very hard at is actually meshing those two concepts. I think increasingly the way like search is developing compared to like five, 10 years ago when I got started, there is not the same low hanging fruit that used to be in the search results It's definitely harder to get the the rankings to get the traffic to avoid being competed by people that started way before you did i think one of the best ways to differentiate is to uh, share it's like an Andreessen Horowitz term an earned secret so it's this idea that as a company as a team you've got experiences that nobody else has had you can share something unique on any topic because it's based on your experience. So what we try and encourage people to do is when you're writing an SEO targeted article, even if you're sharing largely the same kind of information as all the other content out there, add your earned secret on top of it. Maybe that's data you have access to, personal experiences you have access to, network you can lean on, something that can differentiate, add that thought leadership angle to what might be an otherwise quite mundane SEO piece.
0: I love that. The earned secret. Um, and yeah, I think, I think animals has traditionally done a good job of that. Um, and so you you made a good point too, in, in the, in the initial response that you sent me, which was that in the most contested SERPs that it's opinion and experience that tend to set the content apart. Talk about that. That, That's an interesting insight that, um, I haven't noticed, but yeah, can you, can you walk us through that?
1: Yeah, definitely. I, one of the posts I've written in the past is about this idea of like copycat content, where the way most people, and I was guilty of this too, approach trying to rank for something is you look what's already ranking and you consolidate all of that information, make sure you're covering all the same bases as all the other articles. So even though you've created something that's maybe longer, more exhaustive than what's already out there, there's actually nothing additive. There's no like information gain over the existing search results. Uh, And sometimes that's because there's nothing more to add. It is with a keyword, you know, sometimes there is only so much you can say. The thing to do then to differentiate is to actually say, yeah, this is how I feel about this. This is how we've applied this in real life in our business. It's the same basic information, but you're adding something new. There's information gain that comes from opinion and experience. Right.
0: And that actually has a positive influence in search results, you think. Um, maybe not from a, is it from a keyword perspective or is it just from time on page, the links that a post gets due to the, due to that, you know, sort of unique point of view, the authority of the page, like, you know, do you have any insight there into like how that actually helps in terms of search rank?
1: Yeah, I, I do. I, I think, um, the wire cutter is a great example. I always come back to for this. A lot of SERPs, they are like top 10 listicles and that kind of thing. And you scan it and it's very hard to, actually answer the query like the example I come to is a camera what is the best like mirrorless camera to buy I've got to read like a hundred different articles to find that out whereas if you actually stake a claim and you have one and you say this is it this is my opinion and you lead with that in the header in the meta description front load the answer basically that can stand out so beautifully from all the kind of hedging that happens in search results typically I love that
0: yeah, that's that's good. I was actually just searching for something. I forget what it was over the weekend. And and I was having a hard time finding because you, you, you were seeing, oh, it was like, um basically alternatives to the Keurig, you know, the coffee maker. And oh, so, yeah. But like, yeah, you get a lot of these listicles, and a lot of them are listing the same ones. And like, you would think that would be helpful, because it's like, oh, these are consistently the best ones. But really, you just like, can someone take a stand and tell me which one is the best one and be like, all these others are shit buy this one and like it was hard to find like it it, and honestly i kind of had to just make the decision on my own and be like all right i'm just gonna roll the dice here but uh kind of what you were saying like it would have been so helpful if there was a post that was like listen these other nine are shit this is the best one but i'll share these other nine too that are tend to be popular as well but just know that this is the one you should get
1: i feel like there's this um evolution we've seen in search results where jump back five years ago and the problem was there are a bunch of products out there but nobody consolidated that together into one place and that was what listicles do so well they just really quickly summarize every option you have available to you but now that every company does that every blog does that the the evolution of that the next useful thing is actually yeah staking a claim saying this is the one i think you should buy this is the best out of everything
0: right and then that gives you a couple opportunities to rank one when people are searching best mirrorless cameras but then if somebody's searching for that specific model like uh You know, say you said uh, a Fuji was like the best or or a Canon or whatever. Somebody's searching for a review for that specific one. You also can rank for that because you have a post that says this is the best one. This is the one you should buy. So you kind of actually give yourself uh, better opportunities to rank in in more places. Um, But I love that. I love that idea. Um, Second one, second play that you shared with us uh, that's worked for animals over the last year was Coin the Concepts. And you guys are brilliant at this um in like labeling specific i mean you you mentioned one before copycat content which is something i think animals it's, it's like such a basic uh and obvious uh phrase but i think it's something that animals coined but yeah talk about the idea of coined concepts and and the impact that that's had uh just on the overall content strategy
1: this is something that uh walter and jimmy at animals have like absolutely hammered into me right from day one it's great to come up with like a great observation, some useful advice, but the thing that really sets it apart and helps it stick in people's minds is having some kind of unique term or angle that goes alongside that. And I've always been a little bit sceptical of that. Like I felt like a little bit of a fraudster, like coming up with a term and like trying to make out like it was this big deal kind of thing. But having done it a few times, I think it's quite a sincere thing to do. It just makes it easier to internalise and understand what you're doing. Uh, So copycat content is a great example. Like I can wholeheartedly say we did not coin that. I would love to have like actually been the first recorded instance of that. It definitely exists elsewhere on the Internet. But I think we've done a good job at like picking that up and running with it and associating it with a specific type of content and a specific problem. Uh, And this kind of ties back to what we were just saying where a lot of search content, you kind of have to share the same basic information as what's already out there because you're trying to match the intent. Every company is trying to do that. There is normally like one primary intent you want to match. And a good way of differentiating when you're sharing that same advice is applying some angle from some other like tangential interesting discipline. Uh, so we've used terms like management consulting, like the, the bluff concept or mutually exclusive uh, content and that kind of thing. Uh, we've taken terms from cinema before, talking about uh, auteur theory and uh, these like literary critiques. And then we applied it to really quite straightforward, basic content marketing principles. It just makes it more interesting, makes it easier to share, easier to communicate. Uh, it just sticks out in the mind in a much like sharper way, I think.
0: Right. I think one of the earliest ones, and you might have mentioned this, was library versus publication. I think it was a post Jimmy wrote in the early yeah, days. Yeah, that animals- today
1: is... Oh. It's one of my favorite posts, like ever. I think, yeah, that, it's that so beautifully up. done.
0: That concept still gets talked about from one blog post um, that that was published what early on in animals' life cycle, right? Like,
1: yeah, that- probably over two years ago, I'd say.
0: Yeah, right, right. Um, second mover advantage, right? That's another one that you mentioned to me that I've seen.
1: Yeah, so again, that's like a really common like business strategy principle, but. Um, by applying it to content marketing, giving it specific content marketing-associated meaning, that's been really useful. We're just trying to draw like discrete lines around these kind of nebulous but familiar concepts that people think about and experience every day, and they read that and they go, ah, oh, that that's a cool name for it that I, that phenomenon I've experienced. What uh, what is second mover advantage? So this this is basically like. I come from a world where we were like a HubSpot partner and we emulated the kind of classic HubSpot approach for ages. And they were the archetypal example of good content. I think a lot of companies still hold up the HubSpot strategy as the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. But the argument I made was actually HubSpot and that whole whole cohort of amazing content marketing companies from like 10 years ago, the strategy they used is not a strategy that works today. They were the first movers. The content marketing landscape was much less competitive Today you have to be a second mover. You have to take advantage of the second mover principle uh, and do something to differentiate from those companies. You can't follow the same playbook they've always followed.
0: Right. Like this. This whole this whole idea of coin concepts. Do you see this popping up a lot in the you know the forums you're in, the communities you're in on Twitter? Uh, because I have, and I'm and I'm wondering like it's. It's hard to measure like the direct impact of something like that. And I don't think you can And I, in some ways, like, I don't think you need to, but like to see these phrases be repeated by other content marketers and other companies, that's a huge result in and of itself, right?
1: Yeah, because we do like a lot of thought leadership content and it's very hard to tie that to concrete metrics as exactly as you've said. But as soon as you start noting this like natural upswelling of terms that you've kind of popularized and you see them develop a life of their own, people write about them and often don't even like reference our content. You know, it's just like a, a term that's lodged in their head. That's how you know I think you're shaping the industry discourse a little bit and you're starting to actually become a thought leader in a way that goes beyond being on LinkedIn and putting thought leader in your bio or whatever.
0: <laughs> Do you hear from folks like that that are working with clients that like we have people coming to us that ask about you know, second mover advantage or library versus publication, like, do these phrases end up being, uh, you know, sort of uh, type of things that drive business as well? Like, obviously, in an indirect way, like people find you through these things, they realize they have an issue or they have a challenge that they're facing, because you, you kind of grounded it in such a way that made it easy for them to understand. Like, I would assume this has a, a downstream impact too on business.
1: Yeah. So that, this was always historically how Jimmy vetted the success of his content. It was how often does it get mentioned on sales calls? So we, we track traffic, but actually we also really, really care about the blog posts that get mentioned in sales calls. People will come to us and they'll reference a particular blog post and say, this, this is exactly what we've been thinking about. This is how we want to develop our content strategy. And unsurprisingly, that makes sales like a much nicer process for everyone because they're bought into the ethos. They like how we're thinking. And it's very easy for us to then deliver on that expectation.
0: Right. That's a great metric. How many times was it mentioned
1: on a sales call? Uh, was he, was yeah, he tracking on like a spreadsheet that. or something? <laughs> no, no. I really wish we were. Yeah, we should get like uh, gong recordings or something <laughs> and try and extract terms out of it. <laughs>
0: right. That would be a brilliant metric to share too. There's another coin phrase for you to – to come up with at some point, instead of sessions, yeah. instead of leads, instead of whatever it's i uh, I'll leave that to you. Cause you seem like you're, pre- you, you, animals is pretty good at coming up with those phrases. So, uh, but th- yeah. that, that's fertile ground for one, for sure. Uh, and the last one, which is timely because like you just mentioned before the, uh, the benchmark report just went live a couple weeks ago, which was a very well written report, very insightful. But the third thing, the third play that you mentioned that has been big, uh, as a paid off, for animals has just been data-driven content, so just just talk about that for a minute. Like uh, you know, the overall approach, why you thought it was important, and just how it's working.
1: The, I think the thing data-driven content has going for it is that quite often it is proprietary. Um, so this benchmark report is a great example. It, it's data that animals only animals has basically. There is no data set kind of like this in the world, uh, and the great benefit of that is if people want the insights from it, if people uh, want to benefit from it, they have to read it on your website, they have to link to your website, you are the canonical source of that information. So that's great for like establishing your company's reputation as a thought leader, as a place to go to uh, learn about like the cutting edge of your industry. It's also very cynically great from a linking perspective as well. Uh, Virtually every company I've ever worked with, the most linked to assets are always statistics and stat roundups. Uh, I think a lot of the time as well companies they're kind of uh, like almost meta-analyses so they just pull a bunch of stats from other uh, websites on the internet other blog posts a lot of which never actually go anywhere they they're all kind of uh, self-referential really bad data. Mm -hmm. The one thing we wanted to do with this bit of data-driven content was at least have good data based on actual primary research that people can have faith in it as a a useful uh metric of success for their business
0: talk to me about the benchmark report how long did that take for for the team to put together
1: yeah probably uh, a good couple of months i think to actually do uh the heavy lifting was one working out what it would actually look like we went into this with like so many different ideas and trying to work out what was possible with the data versus, you know, what was kind of aspirational and maybe something for the future. That was quite a challenge. Uh, actually pulling all the data, wrangling all the data. Uh, that was Andrew's job. He did a fantastic job with that, but it definitely took him a long time to do. Uh, and then like the bit I was most involved in was the, reconciling the data with the reality of like how businesses think about marketing and content.
0: Yeah that was uh it was a brilliant report I mean basically pulled from from you know years of 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 client data right shared obviously automa you know uh autonomized and 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 with permission but that's basically where the data was pulled from correct
1: Yeah exactly that we kind of thought what is a more useful data set than actual real world companies that are doing this day in day out and actually living the reality of content marketing so many benchmarks are aspirational or they're based on like a sample size of one quite often and it's very hard to extrapolate from that even though i think our data set has some limitations i think it's a really really good starting point for SaaS companies doing content marketing to work out how they stack up to other companies right what's the response been so far i've been really really surprised by how positive it is i'm one of these people that's um i don't know i probably overthink things too much and i pick things apart and i'm never quite happy with it uh and we got this out into the world and we were glad it was done but we immediately saw like a dozen ways we'd want to change it or improve it for the (laughs) second version but actually people have been so so receptive to it uh the thing that comes up time and time again is just how like realistic and accessible the metrics are there it's, it's obviously data that is trying to be reconciled with the real world of content marketing We've tried to combine things like traffic benchmarks, but then say, given how most companies do content marketing, this is what you can do with that data. So trying to be quite heavy handed with the practical application part of it and not just have a list of stats to share around and ogle. Is this going to be
0: like an annual report? Will you do another one next next fall?
1: That's the plan. Yeah. First of many, hopefully, Uh, potentially some qualitative data reports to go alongside the quantitative as well.
0: Right, and so you, you, uh, is there other reports planned throughout the rest of this year? Uh, obviously, if the strategy is is uh, is one that you're you're betting big on, I would assume you have other reports that you're you're thinking of or have lined up.
1: Yeah, so I think we're probably going to do uh, this kind of benchmark report once a year, and that will be kind of like the pillar piece that you know, hopefully Ooh. people will reference and come back to each year, but. One of the things we realized doing this is we end up with so many questions as a result of the data, lots of like smaller little questions we can try and answer with data analysis. And we'll probably tackle those like systematically throughout the year. Things like internal linking structure or a deeper look at like particular sizes of blogs and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, you have so many blog posts you can pull from that now, uh, all pointing back to that. So I would assume that's part of the strategy. That's it's brilliant. It's a brilliant piece of content. Um Ryan, this was great and uh, just it, it's it's great to 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 hear uh, both the strategy and, and really the philosophies behind the the animal strategy because it's animals has been somewhat you know a, a company whose content strategy that I've I've admired for quite some time and then obviously having you on board and, and your writing ability and the content that you come out with. It's great to hear uh, the behind the scenes of, of how it all works but but most interestingly, how you all think about content and how thoughtful um that team is there so was, thanks for coming on and thanks for sharing
1: yeah a real pleasure I, I love working at animals and i've never met a bunch of people that care and think about content as much as the team does <laughs>
0: yeah thanks for having me super fun to talk about